Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then 36 through 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. My grandfather, a man named Earl Gerber, ran a weed spring business in western Nebraska. Um, his business was a hard, hot, dusty kind of work, uh, but it provided for him and for his family. Uh, it paid for college for my father and for my father's three sisters. Uh, my dad used to work with my grandfather out in the fields spraying weeds during the summers. So I called my dad this week and said, Dad, I'm preaching on the parable of the weeds. Tell me what it's like to spray weeds. And as he r recollected what it was like uh, 40, 45 years ago when he was working in this business, the one thing that really stood out to him was the utter resiliency of weeds. Uh, my father said, you know, when you're working with weeds, they grow anywhere and everywhere under all kinds of conditions. You know, he said, you know, right now it's very dry, it's very hot, there's not much rain. If you ask farmers, they will tell you that the crops might be suffering from this lack of rain, but the weeds, they're doing just fine. They're living high and mighty. You can't get rid of the things. They continue to grow. The other thing is you, you can't kill them very easily. He said they could never just pull the weeds up because the problem was that would often leave the roots of those weeds underneath the ground, and then eventually those roots would regenerate into more weeds. To get rid of the weeds, you had to kill them so that they would not come back again. Now, my grandfather, in running this business, he was a, he was a very simple man in so many ways, but he was so wise. I remember he was one of the first people who really sat me down and told me so much about the Bible. I remember fondly talking to my grandfather about these things, but I got to know a little bit about uh, my grandfather's passion for weeds. I was talking with my father. Uh, one of the stories that my dad recollected was a time that my, 
grandfather went to go visit his daughter, my aunt, and my aunt had an organic garden. And my aunt was frustrated by how many times my grandfather kept asking, can I please just spray the weeds in your organic garden? Didn't understand that that would um, undercut the point of the organic garden. But the point is that he hated weeds. He was wrestling with these thorns and thistles in farm fields every day in his working career at that point in his life, and he grew to hate them. Now, you and I may not be dealing with weeds and fields. Some of you are, I know. Uh, But all of us, because of the curse of sin, have to deal with thorns and thistles and the various aspects of our lives, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, as Jesus talks about these weeds as as they're symbolized in this particular parable here. And as all of us are toiling in one way or another with these thorns and thistles and weeds in our lives, the question regularly arises, why am I dealing with this? Why does this have to be so hard? And, and furthermore, how long? It seems like I'm working so hard on this weed over here, and maybe I deal with this one, but then 10 weeds spring up to take its place. Is this the toil of my life, dealing with one weed after another? How long will this last? Well, the Scriptures regularly deal with that question in one way or another. Here, Jesus is telling us a parable about exactly that kind of a thing, and the Bible doesn't answer the question of how long this is going to last. We're not given a direct timetable. Well, you go through this many trials and thorns and thistles, and then the end will come. Rather than a timetable, the Bible regularly, and here specifically, Jesus is teaching us to labor in hope. The big idea this morning as we study this parable of the weeds is this, wait patiently for the kingdom. Wait patiently for the kingdom. Now again, as I mentioned, as with the parable of the sower, as we study this passage this morning, uh, the passage is a little bit broken up in the text. So we're going to look first at verses 24 through 30, and then also as we're doing that, we're going to bring in Jesus' explanation that comes a little bit later in verses 36 through 43. But this morning we see three sections. First of all, the wheat and weeds, wheat and weeds. Second, longing lament, longing lament. And then third, protective patience, protective patience. So first of all, wheat and weeds. Again, at the beginning of this parable, we read that Jesus puts another parable before them in verse 24, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, this would have been a very common image in those days. Uh, Many people were working lives that were dedicated to agriculture. Uh, So this would have been a very common idea to see people out sowing good seeds into a field. But then Jesus tells us the twist here, that in the night when all of the servants of this master were sleeping, an enemy went out into the field to sow weeds among the wheat and went away. Surprisingly, this perhaps was common enough, so common that the Romans actually had a law explicitly prohibiting this, criminalizing the act of sowing weeds in your neighbor's field. Apparently, there were enough instances that it had to be a law on the books. Now, um, if you read the commentaries, I don't know anything about plants or about weeds. My grandfather actually served on the Nebraska State Noxious Weed Boards. Um, very stellar service, I'm sure. Uh, But 
he would have known perhaps this weed, but it was called bearded darnel is what most people think this is what uh, weed that, that Jesus is talking about here. Bearded darnel is a weed that resembles wheat, uh, but it's not wheat. And significantly, bearded darnel has a fungus that grows on it that is toxic. It's poisonous for animals or for human beings to eat it. So if these aren't just things that are sort of uh, stealing um, water and other resources from the soil. If you mix in a, a batch of weeds as well as this particular fake wheat, this bearded darnel, this will ruin your crop. People won't eat this. This will actually make people sick and die to eat these two things mixed together. So it was a really big problem for these particular weeds to grow up in this crop. But again, they don't know that this happens. Notice in verse 26 that this plant, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. For a long time, and time plays a very important role in the telling of this parable, the people don't realize what the problem is. They don't realize that some of these seeds that have been shooting up from the soil and growing up are not actually wheat, but these include weeds. No immediate knowledge, but time is going to show where all of these problems are as they pop up. Now, we'll stop there at verse 26 to say, okay, well, what does Jesus mean by these figures? Some of it maybe is somewhat self-explanatory, but let's look specifically at how he explains it. So look ahead to verse 36. We read, then he left the crowds and went into the house. If you remember back at the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1, we read that same day Jesus went out of the house, and there he began to teach these parables. Now he's going back to the house after a day of teaching. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And so here's what he answers. He answers, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now, this is really important. When we're talking about the son of man, this is one of the titles that Jesus regularly applies to himself. However, this is more important than we might realize. If you were in Sunday school, we talked about it this morning. But this is an allusion, a reference back to the Old Testament, to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, where Daniel has a vision. And in this vision, he sees one like a son of man presented before the Ancient of Days, God Almighty. Here's what Daniel sees. He says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's what Jesus is referring to here. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. For Jesus to say that the one who sows the seed is the Son of Man is Jesus to say this is a parable about the everlasting dominion, about the kingdom that will not pass away and the way in which the Son of Man is establishing this kingdom on the earth. Jesus isn't telling a folksy fable about a farmer. This is a story about the everlasting dominion of the Son of Man whose dominion is everlasting and whose kingdom shall not be destroyed. Well, Jesus continues to explain in verse 38, the field is the world. Now, through the history of interpretation, the field has sometimes been taken refer to, to refer to as the church. That some people have argued, okay, in the church, 
You're always going to have hypocrites, but it's hard to tell at first. It's hard to know whether someone who is walking along us in the, with us in the church for a time is genuinely born again, genuinely has trusted in Christ or not, because some people eventually fall away. Now, that is a true statement. That is a true reality. That is demonstrated throughout Scripture. We see this happen all the time. There is a real thing called apostasy, where people who appear to be genuine believers, who profess credibly faith in Christ, nevertheless eventually walk away from the faith. The reason is not because they had faith and lost it. The reason is not that they were saved and then lost their salvation. Those two things are not possible. The reason is that they were deceived. They never actually believed. They just claimed to have done so, and they fall away. That is demonstrated throughout Scripture. But that does not appear to be the point of what Jesus is talking about in this parable here. Here, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of the Son of Man. If Jesus is the Son of Man, and He describes Himself as the Son of Man, if Jesus is establishing a kingdom that cannot pass away, a dominion that will be everlasting, then why do people continue to defy Him openly? Why does He still have enemies? Why haven't the problems of the disciples vanished in the presence of the King, the Son of Man? That's what Jesus is dealing with here. Why doesn't God yet judge the wicked now? Well, then in the end of verse 38 and verse 39, we read that the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. Now, recognize this is a little bit different than what we saw earlier in the parable of the sower. There, the seeds represented the word of the kingdom, the gospel scattered about that falls on different kinds of people represented by different kinds of soil to represent the condition of their hearts. Here, the seeds represent the actual people themselves. The weeds, on the other hand, are also people, but they're different people. These are sons of the evil one. Now, this doesn't mean the devil, the enemy, created these other people, these weeds, these sons of the evil one. These weeds rather represent people who are sons of the evil one, not by creation. The devil can create nothing. So not by creation, but rather by the corruption of their character. So that these people in their character begin to represent their spiritual father, the devil. Elsewhere in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus confronts the religious leaders among the Jews, and He says to them, they're not the children of Abraham. Abraham's character was to believe the promises that God had given them. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And Jesus goes on to explain, your father was a, a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and you are following in exactly those same footsteps. So far, what Jesus has told us and what He has explained in the first couple of verses of explanation is that this parable is about Jesus' purposes in this everlasting kingdom that is being given by the Ancient of Days to the mediatorial King, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And at the same time, the opposition of the enemy, of Satan, against Jesus' kingdom. So what then comes next? Well, before we go on to the next part of this parable, it's important to recognize that since the fall, the world has always been filled with evil. The fact that we are still dealing with sin, the fallout of sin, the curse of sin is nothing new. 
This has been with us ever since the beginning, ever since the first fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. But it is worth noting what a crisis point we live in right now. A crisis, not that evil has somehow morphed into something different, but that we live in an age of deep despair over the evil that surrounds us. There is a, a scholar that I've, I've read for, for many years. Her name is Jean Twenge, and she does a really interesting research to track changes in generational outlooks. She looks at a lot of surveys that have been given in the exact same words over the course of many, 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 many years, and she traces the way different generations answer the same questions in comparison to the generations that have come before. And she's looking at, in one aspect of her research that was brought to my attention recently, a survey that was given to 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, where they were asked questions that have been asked in the past, does this define the way you think about yourself? Questions like, I can't do anything right, or my life is not useful, or I do not enjoy life. Now, in the early 1990s or through 2013, um, previous generations answered this about a quarter to a third of people said, yes, that's true of me. But in 2023, that number has jumped to 44 to 49.5%. Half of high schoolers believe that they cannot do anything right, that their life is not useful, that they do not enjoy life. This is a crisis moment in our civilization. The problem is not, again, that evil has somehow changed. The problem is that everywhere we look, we see weeds, and we wonder what can be done, and there are no good answers that are forthcoming. We who live in an age of unparalleled, unprecedented technological advancement who have in some ways expected that all of these new technologies will somehow fix our lives are only finding that when you get to the top of that hill, there's no hope. More than ever, people are desperate for good news. And this morning, if you are desperate for good news, I would urge you to listen to Jesus. What you cannot find in technology or in the solutions offered by the kingdoms of this world today the Son of Man holds out to you in the secrets contained in this parable. This is the only hope for a world lost and desperate for salvation. The Son of Man, King Jesus, came into the world to establish an everlasting dominion. This is what He came to do. An eternal kingdom that shall never be destroyed, but we've seen this sabotage. And for those outside the kingdom, there is only despair, but even for the sons of the kingdom, for believers in Jesus Christ, this leaves us in a painful already not yet that we're going to see in the next part of this passage. If King Jesus came to bring a kingdom, where is this kingdom? It doesn't look like a kingdom. We still have all these problems we're dealing with. Weeds are growing up all around us. So how then do we live in the tension between today and eternity, the already and the not yet? Well, this brings us to our second section, longing lament. And this is what we see from the servants. The servants are shocked by this, verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? For those of us who know and believe that there is one creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and that this Creator is truly a good and all-powerful God, we look around this world and we say, Lord, how is all of this evil here? 
if you, a good God, are behind this, the problem of evil is not new. Every generation has wrestled with this, and these servants are giving voice to that. Didn't you sow good seed? Why are there weeds? And the master knows exactly what's happened in verse 28. He says, an enemy has done this. One commentator really pointed out how matter-of-fact this is. There's no doubt. There's no guessing. The master knows exactly that an enemy has done this. But I think what's so fascinating here is the response of the servants at the end of verse 28. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to go and gather the weeds? Should we go up and take care of this problem right now? We can go. We can gather up these weeds and take them away. Now again, time plays an extremely important part in understanding this parable. The question is not about whether to gather the weeds. The question is about when to gather the weeds. In the next section, we'll see how the master says, not right now. But what these, que- but what these servants are doing is to echo a question that arises throughout Scripture. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, are we going to deal with these thorns and thistles in the world? These servants are longing for justice and righteousness. We didn't sow this good seed. Why then should there be weeds? Should we establish justice now by going and gathering these weeds and getting them out of the field, getting this out of the world? You know, we actually sang one of the places where this question comes up in Psalm 13. How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever will it be. That was the question we sang earlier, Psalm 13. But it's all over the Psalms, all over the Scriptures. How long must this continue? And the more we ask this question, the more we ask, why would this be the case? If God really is a good God, if He really loves justice, what purpose could it possibly serve to allow these weeds to continue growing in the field? Couldn't God just snap His fingers and get rid of this? Then why doesn't He? Andrew is preaching about this question in many ways in his sermon series through Lamentations, asking these questions, and it's interesting that in Lamentations, a book that explores the deepest of sorrows in all of the Scriptures, that book is the book where we find the promise that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is what this parable is trying to get us to see. This is the focus of the parable. This longing lament, the question, how long, O Lord? How long will evil flourish in the world? How long until you bring justice? How long until the righteousness of your kingdom will come so that we are forced to wrestle with that question? Is it true? Are God's mercies really new every morning? Is His faithfulness really great? In our denomination, the... PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, there's a ruling elder whom I've met uh, through going to General Assembly, and I've corresponded with him some uh, by email, and he signs every email he sends this way. Before his name, he writes, I write, in Christ or something like that. He writes, heaven soon. Two words, heaven soon. And every time I get an email from this man, I'm just so encouraged. You know, here I am, and I'm digging weeds out of the ground, and I'm spraying things up from here to there, and my orientation is down. And every time I get an email from this ruling elder, he's lifting my eyes to remember that this won't be forever. Heaven soon. 
And it's not that he's making it up. This is the very final promise, the very final words of Jesus given to us in the pages of Scripture. In Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. But when? When will he come? How long will he delay justice? We can't even state the promise without reinstating our questions. How long will this last? When will Jesus come? And this is what this parable wants us to wrestle with. The Bible doesn't answer the when question directly. Instead, the Bible is constantly reorienting toward patiently waiting for the kingdom. But while the Bible doesn't give us a time frame, one of the things that Jesus is doing here in this parable, other passages give us promises, this is giving us the purpose, the explanation, not the when, but answering the why. God does have a purpose in the delay of His justice. Paradoxically, God's purpose is His patience to protect His precious people. God is patient to protect His precious people. And so, in this third section, we are going to see God's protective patience. Well, in verse 29, we read this, but he, the master, said no. Remember, the question was, do you want us to go and get these weeds out of there now? But he said no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." Now, there are uh, different ideas among commentators about why the master would want a delay here. For some, uh, some believe that the concern was that the wheat and the weeds looked too similarly, especially early in the growing process. And because of that close visual similarity, the master is saying, don't go and just recklessly go through the field so you're going to start maybe thinking you're gathering up a weed, but in fact... You've pulled up a, a stalk of wheat uh, or a, a grain of, of wheat there. Others, however, think that, well, there, there certainly was a visual difference between them. Uh, they recognize that weeds are growing up among the wheat. That's what started this whole conversation. So the issue is not so much with the close visual similarity, but with the enmeshed roots. You know, as these weeds grow down again, they grow the deep roots, and they would have had much deeper roots than the wheat and the idea would be that their roots would be enmeshed, and if you pulled up the weeds of one, or the, the weeds, that you would run the danger of also pulling up the wheat at the same time. Either way, whatever explanation you might go with, the reason, the purpose for not gathering up the weeds is protective concern for the well-being of the wheat. Now, the Scriptures elsewhere tell us the same thing. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, we read, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The purpose for not pulling up the weeds right now is God's patience and His protectiveness so that those whom He has chosen, those whom He has called, will come into the kingdom, will be brought to repentance and reach that repentance, and through that repentance, enter the kingdom of the Son of Man. It's counterintuitive, but this is the purpose of the Son of Man. I, I think when I think about this parable, 
you think about one of those extremely counterintuitive bits of medical advice that you hear. You know, you hear all of these things that things that you would think to happen if you're taking first aid or some kind of training, don't do this. One of those things is if you ever have a deep puncture wound, a stab wound or uh, some kind of glass or something in, the most logical thing to do is to pull that thing out. That is the worst possible thing to do. As much as it's painful, as difficult as it is, the last thing you should do, maybe we'll save a life here physically this morning, don't pull it out. Let medical professionals pull it out. The only thing that makes it worse is to, in a rushed, thoughtless way, remove that long embedded object from your body. Let people who are medical professionals do that in their way, in their timing, with all of their equipment to fix you up. The same thing is happening here. Don't root up these weeds. It would harm the wheat. But at the same time, it's so important to understand this does not mean, this does not mean that the master is content to allow weeds to grow forever. This doesn't mean that the master is content to allow weeds to grow forever. At the end of time, the Son of Man will judge the world through a great separation, we read in verse 30. And Jesus explains what this means at the, in verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even though God's justice, God's kingdom is delayed from coming in its final, ultimate, conclusive manifestation, this does not mean that God is slow, even if He's slow as some count slowness. It means that God is offering. His kindness is meant to give an opportunity to repent Hear this warning. Don't harden your heart against this. Don't miss out. The promise, the warning here is that if you do, the destiny that you face is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth into the fiery furnace of an eternal hell. But in addition to this warning in verse 43, there is a gospel promise of God's fatherly love for His wheat, for His people. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. This is not the kingdom of some distant monarch somewhere else that we will never know or have any conversation with. This is the kingdom of the one who has become our Father through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Well, the application for this parable is just what the big idea is. Wait patiently for the kingdom. As we go through this parable, we are reminded that we don't wait in panic for the kingdom. Earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said to us, do not be anxious. The evil of this world should concern us. It should not consume us. Ours is not the first generation to ask, how long, O Lord, even if this is a particular moment in history where people are desperate for real answers to these serious questions. But we, like every generation who have gone before us, 
have wondered at times, does God care about our suffering? Does God care about the weeds that seem to grow everywhere around us? Jesus is reminding us here that God's delay is out of compassion and concern for us. It may not seem like it, but this is about God's compassion and His concern for you. Because the simplest way for God to deal with a field full of weeds would simply be to burn up the entire thing today or just to pull it all up and start all over. But God is waiting because He does not want you to be harmed. If you doubt that, if you question that this morning, the Bible calls us to remember the cross. The cross was God's final pledge, final declaration of God's compassionate love toward you. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that cross became the cornerstone of God's unshakable and immovable kingdom that is being given by the Ancient of Days to the Son of Man, King Jesus. As we have the final assurance of Jesus' death and His resurrection, we don't wait in panic for the kingdom. Wait patiently for the kingdom. But also, just as we don't wait in panic, we also do not wait passively for the kingdom. The servants, we get the impression, are very busy. They're out working in the fields. How do you think they would otherwise know that there are weeds growing along with the field? The servants continue to have work to do until that final harvest. That's when the feast will be at the final harvest. Until then, the Scriptures tell us elsewhere, through Jesus' parables and other imagery, that we've got to be busy scattering the seeds of the Word of the Kingdom, to go back to the image of the earlier parable. We've got to be busy cultivating and watering these plants, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. King Jesus has called us to evangelize those who do not know and to disciple those who continue to need to grow in the faith that they already have, which means all of us. We all need to grow. King Jesus, more than this, has called us to not only reach people individually, but to set up new outposts for the kingdom, new churches planted in other areas to reach and disciple people directly around those. The master has delayed the final harvest precisely because there is work to do in bringing in the harvest and bringing in the other sheep who are not yet a part of the sheepfold. Don't be passive, Jesus is saying. Wait patiently, without passivity for the kingdom. We don't wait in panic. We don't wait passively. Finally, we will not wait perpetually for the kingdom. Jesus is telling us again about that time, the already, the not yet, the time that we must wait. How long, O Lord? Well, apparently a little bit longer. But as much as Jesus tells us that His final justice is delayed, He's ensuring us, assuring us that His justice must finally come. The questions in the Bible are, how long, O Lord? Not, will you come, O Lord, as though the matter were in doubt. It's not a question of whether Jesus will come. It is a question of when He will come. And the promise is that the Son of Man will come. And on that day, He will come riding on clouds. Remember, this is what Jesus told before the religious leaders and before Pilate. On that day, He will come riding on a cloud and every eye will see Him. And those who have rejected His coming will be dismayed at His coming. In the language of Revelation, they will call down rocks on their head, hide us from the face of the Almighty, of the Son. 
When he comes, he will establish for himself an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And on that day, the weeds will be gathered up and banished forever into fire. The confidence that we have as Christians is not about how close Christ's return may be. Our confidence is rather that we may be certain of his coming. We wait, but it will not be perpetual. We will not wait forever. Therefore, beloved, wait patiently for the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. This is the day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad in this, the day that we remember week by week the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus was declared in power to be the Son of God through the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. We gather to celebrate this week by week that death could not conquer Jesus. And even now, Jesus is reigning to put every enemy under his feet. And the last enemy, death, will one day be conquered under his feet forever. Lord, give us patience and perseverance as we navigate a life filled with thorns and thistles of the weeds of this world, we pray that you would give us, to, give us faith to trust that Jesus is coming even when we cannot see him, that heaven is coming soon even though we do not know when that day will be. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.